finally, I would just say, be careful where you get your information. There are so many people whose state opinion is fact. They often do this on social media. (laughs) We've all seen it. Just because somebody says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because your neighbor says, oh, they're never going to get a job if they come back with a degree from the university or forever, does not mean it's true. Really do your due diligence and look into it. That was Jen Veeman sharing one of many tips she will provide here to people seeking a four-year college degree in a country where they do not live. Getting a four-year degree outside of the country where you live will again be our focus on this episode of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode of Looking Forward, we're again going to focus on the growing trend of students going beyond their country's borders to get a four-year college education. In part one, episode number 89, we learned how many students are going beyond their country's borders to attend college, where those students come from and are going to, some of the benefits in doing that what impact COVID-19 has had on this, and what the near-term future might look like for this trend. Here in part two, episode number 90, we'll discuss a lot more, including what opportunities this trend might offer you, our Looking Forward listeners. We'll also get some fantastic tips on how to go about choosing a college or university that's in a country other than yours. Spoiler alert, this is a great opportunity for adults of any age and for the schools, too. To help us with all this, we've again brought on our outstanding guest expert, Jen Vimont. Jen Vimont is the founder and president of Beyond the States, a company that helps those living in the United States find the right college in Europe for students and their families. Jen obtained her master's degree in social work from the University of Illinois, Chicago, and is a licensed clinical social worker. Before launching Beyond the States, she worked in a variety of areas, including school social work, mental health, coaching, and as a parenting coordinator for high-conflict divorce cases. Jen loves to travel, and over the years she's enjoyed less tourist traffic destinations during her university visits. This helps her get a deeper feel for the city she visits by eating, shopping, and residing in areas populated by locals. Jen and her family lived in Portugal for two years and now reside in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Her son studies international relations at AAU in Prague, and her daughter plans to study criminology and psychology in Ireland. Jen, we haven't talked about competition, and we haven't talked about costs. I don't mean competition between you and others that might do what you do. I'm speaking about When you look at the various schools, whatever country they're in, and we'll leave the United States for a minute here, do you think we're going to see more schools, whether they're in the same country or in different parts of the world, more actively competing to get these students? And how might this affect the cost? Do you see costs going up or down? And they may be two different things, but I'm 
curious about your thoughts on those two matters. I think the important thing to look at is other than private universities, which in much of the world, private universities are not often as prestigious as public universities, right? Which is a, a little bit of a shift from where the thinking in the U.S. is. That is. Other than private universities, universities are not run with this big business model that we have here. It's not as much about recruiting. Now, certainly international students help universities in many ways because they're paying tuition fees that the local students are not. And they're also contributing to the economy of that actual city. I mean, certainly international students are welcome, but there's not like this marketing push for them. And there's not... Again, the whole marketing effort, the aggressive recruiting thing is much more American in nature because of not only the big business model used, but also because of how the selectivity score plays into the ranking system in the U.S. In the global rankings, the only criteria used is research-related. Selectivity, that doesn't play into it at all. All these other 500 factors... Those don't play into it. So there's no reason to kind of game those stats and game those numbers for rankings. And how about costs? Here in the United States, costs have gone up a lot (laughs) over the years. Is that trending also occurring overseas? So what you might have been able to get for one of your clients, we'll say five years ago, you can't do nearly as well in the future. You may not be able to do nearly as well in the future because costs are just really escalating. Well, first of all, costs increase each year, but not at the rate that they do in the U.S. Certainly, international student tuition does increase each year. The average tuition right now in Europe, in all of these 3,000 programs, is $8,000 a year. And remember, many of these are just three years in duration. $8,000 a year is less than the flagship universities in most state schools for in-state tuition. And then you have that extra year. So even when you have travel on there, you have these other things the costs end up, even when you're comparing it to public, compare it to out-of-state or private. And, you know, again, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. But so even if they do increase, the savings are still going to be there. I'll also say that there are... Finland, for instance, Finland used to offer free tuition for international students. There are a couple of countries that do this. Germany, Norway, public universities still offer free tuition for international students. Finland said hey guys, we're not going to do this anymore. We need that, that income. We're going to start charging international students. Finnish students got all up in arms and were protesting because they said, you know what? They're first, we're next. And because of that, I mean, yes, they do charge international students tuition now, but they also have to offer scholarships. And these aren't scholarships like, you know, little piddly things. These are like kind of buy one, get one offers, like finish your first year successfully and get 50% off your second year. Again, because the philosophy of access to higher education is a different model, I don't think it's going to become cost prohibitive at, at public universities, at least not when comparing it to U.S. tuition. I was going to say, I mean, when you're even starting out by saying $8,000 a year, thinking about the U.S., and again, you're talking about one less year, probably, there's a huge potential savings there. And we're going to get a little bit more into that as we near the conclusion of our conversation. Looking forward, of course, is also called that because it's a positive association. We see opportunities in things, in trends. And so I'm wondering if you could comment 
about where you think there might be opportunities for a variety of disparate kinds of individuals. And you don't necessarily, Jen, need to talk about all of these. But we certainly, first of all, have the students who are trying to figure out what should I major in, where should I go? Then we've got people who are in a job and they're going to potentially look for a new career. They're not happy with what we're doing. We've seen that with COVID, at least in the United States. A lot of people are quitting the great resignation and they're starting their own businesses and so forth. And then you have entrepreneurs who are looking to start businesses and investors who are always looking for opportunities. As you think about the world in which you function, where you spend most of your working day, where do you see opportunities? There are a few things, and these are things I've seen over the last couple of years that I think are really cool. We have one mother of a student, for instance. Her son is now studying in Europe, and her younger son plans to as well. And she started researching this with her son and thought, this is so cool. I wish I could do that. She had worked her way up in her career without having finished her bachelor's. And so she decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay in my job right now. I'm going to finish up my bachelor's. And then my husband and I are going to go to Europe for our master's degrees. And their sons are in Europe too. So I thought that was a really cool thing. We interviewed her on our podcast and her perception and experiences. It's really cool. I worked with another woman recently who's in her 50s and decided she wanted to do something completely different. She wanted to study anthropology. Now, when you go to school outside of the US, you generally can't go get your master's in anthropology if you have your bachelor's in computer science. It needs to be related because it gets a lot more specialized. Now, the other thing is the reason these programs are three years, because they don't have the gen ed requirements. So If I were returning to school right now, if I were going for a second bachelor's degree, I would be so annoyed if I had to take intro to economics or things that I know didn't apply to what I wanted to study. I would also be annoyed if the whole student life of this university were all 21-year-olds. She was able to pursue these opportunities knowing she didn't have to do gen ed requirements. She would be studying anthropology from day one and that her student life could be with expats in the city. And, you know, she could still have this experience without feeling sort of like an outcast, if you will. That's a great example. I'm going to sort of flip this in a different direction, which is instead of talking about opportunities for individuals, what about opportunities for schools? You're talking about Europe, largely because that's where you're operating right now, helping students from the U.S. go overseas. Mm -hmm. But do you see this as an opportunity, A, for more European schools, but let's go way beyond Europe. Is this an opportunity that more schools in other areas of the world could also be tapping into? Absolutely. I mean, again, the reason English taught degree programs exist anywhere isn't necessarily to just attract American students or Australian students. It's because, like it or not, English is the predominant language across the entire world. So you can draw students, not just from Anglophone countries, you can draw students, these 5.4 million students who are coming from, you know, where do we say, China, India, you know, those aren't Anglophone countries and they're coming from there. So absolutely. And again, this isn't just university initiative. This can be beneficial for the economy of the city as a whole. 
That's a very, very good point. You go there and you spend money and your family might visit you depending on the circumstances. Which leads me to ask you one other thing before we'll leave this topic, Jen, and that is, okay, so somebody goes to a foreign country. Let's use an example. So they go to Finland and they get a three-year degree. Mm -hmm. That degree, when they bring it back, if they decide, I'm going to go back to the United States. I was from North Carolina and now I'm going to go back. How is that degree viewed by the potential employer, by other institutions? How do they perceive it? Oh, you got your degree in Helsinki? I make that up. I don't know. (laughs) How how do they perceive these degrees that come from another country? That's a great question. And honestly, this is a question I probably get every single day. If there's the most common question, this is it. I mean, it's probably because... I've been immersed in this for so long. It's a question that I that's almost baffles me because it really speaks to sort of the myth of American exceptionalism in a lot of ways. To say that our way is the best, we have the most highly ranked universities. Well, we all know how gained those are. But when you look at the research about this, first of all, there was a study done by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD. They looked at the educational levels of students with a bachelor's degree from a number of different countries, right? And they found that U.S. students with a four-year bachelor's degree scored below their counterparts in 19 of the 21 participating countries. And those same kids score the same as those who only have a high school diploma in three of the top performing countries. If we look at outcomes, it's not showing that it's the best in the world. Now, The other thing is that research shows that students with this international degree, when they study abroad, it has a positive impact not only on job opportunities, but job advancement. So this is a couple of things. Number one, they have this thing on their resume that that stands out. You know, you have 100 resumes in front of you. They're all from, you know, the same universities in the U.S. And then you have this one from another country. That stands out. Not only that, but these kids who have had that experience they have learned soft skills that it takes a lot longer to learn just when you kind of live as you've been living your whole life. They know how to navigate unfamiliar circumstances or unfamiliar situations. They know how to work in groups with people with different backgrounds and perspectives. You know, there's all these life skills that they gain simply by having this experience. Now, in terms of just about employability... Also, internships are often a part of programs, which gives work experience. But in terms of master's degrees, if you look at the fact that I think it's 5.3% of all student, all graduate students in the U.S. are international, this is why you have to make sure that your university is accredited. It's not going to be accredited by the U.S. because it's not an American degree. People say, oh, I want to go to school as accredited in the U.S. Then go in the U.S. But these are fully accredited, internationally recognized. And this kind of goes back to what you were talking about before, what sets us apart. If there is even a question, because somebody can say, oh yeah, we're accredited by Joe Smith. Well, who cares if Joe Smith isn't valid accrediting agency? So if we have even an inkling that this school is not 100% legit, we do not put it in our database. And that's another thing that sets us apart. I'm not going to give you information on the school that you can't come back to the U.S. and they say, oh, this is a recognized school. That's excellent. And, you know, in listening to you, something that occurred to me, Jen, was that if somebody decides, 
And maybe they didn't decide it alone. They decided with their parent or somebody else that they're going to go away from their home country and study. That says something about the adventurous nature of their spirit, their willingness to explore and to grow and to learn in addition to the maturity that they might pick up from having had the experience. So what you said really made a lot of sense to me. Now we're going to give you a chance to help our listeners become more savvy consumers in your area of expertise. We like to ask our experts to share some tips. As somebody who's an expert on helping students get a good college education outside of the United States, or we might say possibly outside of any place, can you share with us some tips such as who might consider going abroad to get a college education? What should students and parents consider in determining which college outside of their home country they should choose and how do they go about the process? Anything along those lines, some tips for our listeners, please, Jen. Yeah, sure. I've talked a lot about the benefits and that's not to say that it's not without difficulty to do this. I think one thing is to recognize that it's not free. You know, I mentioned these countries where they have free tuition, but you know, you still have proof of means, which is the money up front that you have to show to get your visa to live on for a year. You know, there are expenses. So really to go into it saying, you know what? I could have these international experiences for right around or just less than I could for an in-state university. Now, you know, I wanted my kids to be able to go further than in-state. And so for me, that, that was huge to have that savings. Even if it's about the same as in-state, cool. But, but that it's not going to be this huge $100,000 of savings unless you're comparing it to out-of-state or private university. The next thing I would say, you know, we talked about how there aren't gen ed requirements. And that's because you're basically choosing your major when you start. And it's not like after a year, you can say, oh, I want to switch from, you know, my chemistry major to a literature major. You have to be, pretty much start over. Now, that's not a huge deal. Actually, my son switched after a year. I, have, I know a number of students who have switched after a year. Because when it's so affordable and it's already three years, you know, he's still graduating in four years under our budget. But along those lines, that's the most important criteria. What do I want to study? What's my budget? What admissions requirements do I have? And starting with those three things, what I find more often than not is somebody will come to me and say, I shouldn't say more often than not, by the way, it used to be more often than not. Somebody will come to me and they say, I want to study in France. And I said, you know, why France? So we have to get into why France, first of all, because odds are we're going to be able to find those qualities elsewhere. And France, almost all of the bachelor's degree programs in France are business. So if this kid doesn't want to study business, France is not the place for them. So start with your area of study. You know, you mentioned Estonia before. I could not have told you where Estonia was on a map before Beyond the States. And I've been there now and it is so cool. Now, would I want to live there in the winter? No. Could I live there in the winter for three years? Probably. I lived in Chicago for 20 some years, you know, you know, just because we don't know about it doesn't mean it's not awesome. And then the next would be don't assume it's just a cheaper version of U.S. college. It's very different. It is more affordable, but it's also structured different. And if you know about those differences, you go into it saying, all right, you know, these are appealing to me or I'm not crazy about this one, but these other ones make up for it. 
And then finally, I would just say, be careful where you get your information. There are so many people whose state opinion is fact. They often do this on social media. I think we've all seen it. Just because somebody says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because your neighbor says, oh, they're never going to get a job if they come back with a degree from the university of wherever, does not mean it's true. Really do your due diligence and look into it. But tied to that, if you are somebody who has trouble making decisions outside of the box, and I don't think this is probably many of your listeners because they're all about, you're talking about very sort of innovative new things. But if you are somebody who is more comfortable kind of going with the flow and going with social norms, I'm not judging that. That's fine. But this probably isn't the best option for you. Helpful stuff. What is, I'll just say one thing that you think most students and parents either overlook or misunderstand when it comes to considering getting a college degree outside of the United States or perhaps outside of any country? What is the misconception or the thing that they're not considering? And you touched maybe on some of that already, but the tips, but is there anything else that you think is really important to get out there about this? Yeah. Well, I already talked about the myth of American exceptionalism when it comes to higher education. So I won't go to that again. But what I will say is kind of a view of bureaucracy. So when we live in one country, right, we don't have to deal with bureaucratic nonsense as often. For instance, I don't have to get my driver's license renewed for 10 years or whatever, right? My daughter just turned 18 and she had her driver's permit and it expired on her 18th birthday. And she was not able, like you're not allowed to make an appointment for before your 18th birthday. It has to be on the actual day. Otherwise, it's expired. And the DMV is no longer open on Saturdays, nor are most places. It was just bureaucratic nonsense. It was crazy. But I don't have to deal with that very often, that sort of thing. When you're in a foreign country, your first year or so, there's going to be a lot of bureaucratic nonsense. So much of it is all so stupid and there are stupid rules. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with that country. Or it doesn't mean they're doing something wrong to you. If you're coming to the U.S., I assure you that somebody coming to the U.S. who is not American is going to have to deal with that same amount of bureaucracy. It's just one of the headaches that goes along with it. And you know what? After a few months, it's not a big deal. But it's just approaching it to say, these stupid rules exist everywhere. And we just have to comply with them as citizens of the world. And I'm not exempt from that, you know, as an American. Yeah, I can understand that, that adjustment that you'd have to make. Is there any downside to doing this sort of a thing, do you think, like a big risk about, I guess one might be you don't know what you want to do with your life and you're floundering around two years over there and it's not a good thing to do. You should have a better idea. Are there any downsides to this? I mean, not if it's right for you. You know, if this is something that appeals to you, I don't think there's a downside. Even if the first two years, you're like, I don't really know. I mean, there are programs for students who don't really know. You know, it's just choosing the right type of program. I think for me as a parent, my biggest downside is that my daughter is actually thinking she's going to stay in the US, but my son might decide to stay in Europe. And I would love that for him if that's what he wants and he has a career there. But as a parent, selfishly, I want to eventually live near my grandbabies. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, I have my passport and I'm no stranger to travel. So I'll get on a plane and and, uh, go see him there if that's what he decides. You know, it's funny you should say that. Two quick things. Mm -hmm. One is one of my daughters, she studied abroad in Italy. And then she went back to Italy for two different years to teach English 
to Italian high school students. And I was always a little bit concerned about meeting somebody (laughs) over there. And then the second thing is this couple that I know from Vermont, where you have spent some time, that actually happened to their daughter. I don't think it was necessarily a study abroad program or a four-year program. It might have been actually, but she ended up meeting somebody in Italy and that's where they live and they had a baby there. And it's a little tougher on the grandparents living in Vermont to get to see their daughter and, and their granddaughter. That's an honest portrayal of maybe a risk or a chance. You know, my son is at school in the Czech Republic, in the Czech Republic. And if you graduate, this is actually something that's very unique to the Czech Republic. But if you graduate with a Czech diploma, you have access to their workforce for life, which means that he doesn't have to jump through the hoops to get a work permit, which is one of the things that makes it hard for international people, you know, non-citizens to, to work in different countries. So it's a pretty cool aspect of going to a Czech university, but again, it might end up you know, biting me. So. Yes. <laughs> Jen, this has been wonderful. I hope that you have made a lot more people aware of the opportunity that we may not have known about that exists for many, many students. And it's not an unusual opportunity. You cited some of the numbers, but it's something that very few to almost no other organizations offer besides yours for students who would live in the United States and might want to go elsewhere. How can our listeners find out more about you, about Beyond the States? You wrote a book. Anything else you'd like them to know about? Share, please. Well, there are a couple of ways we offer information. One is just general information to anyone. We have a blog, which can be found at beyondthestates.com. The same, we also have a podcast, which you can also find on beyondthestates.com. And again, this has information about some of the benefits, about some of the obstacles. We have student ambassadors who tell us about their experiences. We have information about the visits I take to schools and highlights there. However, if you do want to really start to look at the options for yourself as opposed to just sort of, hey, this is interesting. I'd like to know about it. And then we offer membership and services. So it's a really cool community, I have to tell you. They have, of course, access to a number of courses and they can order a best fit list for me where I come up with schools for their student and our database, of course, our searchable database, the proprietary database. But one thing I have to tell you that is so cool for me, not only as a Beyond the States founder, but as a mother, is our Beyond the States member group. And I'm sorry, I'm in a number of member groups and there's usually some level of snark in a lot of these Facebook groups, yes. you know, people judgy and, and other things. Our group is such a supportive group of families and students. And they are families at all stages of the process from just learning about this to their kid just graduated from a school in Europe. And they're all there to help and support each other. One woman I saw posted the other day and she said, I'm starting to feel like this is too hard because my daughter had her heart set on one school and we just joined and found out that she doesn't have the admissions requirements. And I'm just thinking it might be easier for her to go to the state school. Am I missing something? And there were 63 supportive comments that day from members saying, oh, you know, here, why don't you look at this? We can help you with this. It's just a fabulous community. So like I said, many ways to help. Oh, and I wrote a book on college beyond the states, European schools that'll change your life without breaking the bank. This was in 2018. It highlighted 13 specific schools and also talked generally about college in Europe. I will say that things change, as we all know, (laughs) between 2018 and 2022. 
So would I necessarily suggest every school in the book at this point? No. But if you purchase the book through our website, you get an email. You can buy the book anywhere, Amazon, all those places. If you purchase it through our website, you do get an email with sort of updates on the schools in the book that I have occurred since then. Yeah. And that leads me to ask you this about your business. Mm -hmm. Do you know, roughly speaking, about how many colleges and universities are in your universe, so to speak, your database? If we're talking about bachelors, I want to say it's around 300. There are more for masters, but for bachelors, and we do have masters. We have the same services for master's degree programs as well. But yeah, so for bachelors, it's around 300, 350. And masters would be about how many, do you think? I want to say just off the top of my head, I want to say 500. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, again, Jen, this has been fantastic. I love not only the concept, but the way that you're executing it. And I think that people who listen to this are going to hear the conviction that comes out of you. And the fact is you got into this because you were looking for a way that you might be able to save a little money and give your son an education overseas. So what more credibility can you get than somebody who's using the service themselves? And that's how the service was born. Again, thank you so much for your time and being here on Looking Forward. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. My pleasure. This concludes part two of our two-part series on the growing trend of students going overseas to get a four-year college education with our guest expert, Jen Vimon. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Jeremy, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.